0: I feel like Gordon Bombay would have taken his career to even further heights. Everything's flashy, everything's cocaine, everything's fun.
1: Open wide for some soccer. I don't
0: care what you think about what your personal thoughts are at home. I care that you hate the Cowboys.
1: Call this college rule. Welcome back, everybody, to another installment of the Sports Experience Podcast. It's Dom and Chris here once again and recording live here from Engel Studio. And they're here for all of your audio needs.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's where we've always been recording since the very beginning. A uh, quick shout out to Ty, who is our producer. He said, keep it quick, so I'm going to try and go as long as I can with this. Um, who are we talking about today? We're a couple of comics who love sports. We're couple back com- on the
1: diamond. And back on the diamond, and hey... When you get a chance, hit that subscribe button on our YouTube and follow us on all our socials. Uh, It's a good decision, and it will really help us out, so thank you. Uh, Yeah, yeah. like, comment, and subscribe, please. That's right. Uh, Back on the diamond with one of the biggest what-ifs in basically 1990s baseball. Well,
0: I feel like this is the... uh you know, one of those cautionary tales that franchises take, and, and, and they're just like, no, 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 we're going to arrest you for the yeah. half of the season. Like, it is
1: very much of a guy who got overplayed. We are headed back in the DeLorean where pitch counts don't matter, and we are talking about all-star pitcher Steve Avery. Yeah, Steve Avery of the Atlanta Braves. That's right. Uh, Stephen Thomas Avery, born April Fourteenth, 1970, in Trenton, Michigan. Uh, his dad, uh, Ken, was a former minor league pitcher. Yeah. Um, He went to Michigan State, uh, basically Steve's own pitching coach growing up, uh, played for a couple of years for the Detroit Tigers and then married his mom, Connie, and uh, got more into being a dad and family man. Well, I imagine that he probably coached them all throughout Little League and all, you know, that whole
0: thing. And Mm. when he was growing up and he pretty much probably, like you said, his first uh, pitching
1: coach. Yeah. His dad eventually became an athletic director for three high schools in the Taylor Mission again area where Steve grew up. Uh, Had two older brothers and a younger sisters and uh, very sports obsessed as a kid. Very sports obsessed. Um, He uh, was very competitive. Um, read in an article his nickname as a kid was Kanga. He would challenge as an 8-year-old all of the kids in the neighborhood to foot races, and he would uh, give them almost a head start or uh, an advantage. He would hop the entire way. <laughs> so did not like to lose either. Um, when he was 6, um, he apparently cried when his dad bought him a baseball glove. He wanted a soccer ball, oddly enough. <laughs> I thought that one was really funny, especially because his dad played
0: baseball. It was one of those things where... It, it just yeah it was just one of those
1: funny ones but uh, as he gets older because entering high school he was only 5 2 and 89 pounds or about well at about 12 years old but uh he grows into this behemoth of a pitcher well he
0: just didn't hit puberty until later so uh Late bloomer he hits it I, I think he hits it around junior year because that's when he starts to just become you know
1: yeah he's about fully s- developed six 180 um but uh in high school as a junior, uh, by that point, opposing batters were applauding if any of their teammates made contact off of him. And uh, Steve was kind of a power pitcher in high school, uh, definitely threw smoke, but a three-pitch uh, pitcher. He threw a fastball, he had a curveball, and a devastating
0: changeup. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because coming out of high school as this like kind of prospect he really only had those three pitches, and... Nolan Ryan only needed
1: three pitches. I was pitches. just going to say, he dominated with them. Um, While well in high school, he also played basketball and ran cross-country. But by his senior year, you could definitely tell that he was going to go the baseball route. Yep. Um, his dad said uh, in a Connie League game when he threw at 92 miles an hour, uh, well, there might be something special with him. Um, as a senior, he went 13-0, and um, and team won the state title and uh, MVP of a tournament at uh, 196 strikeouts, a .51 ERA in 88 innings. But here's the other thing about Steve. He could hit two. As a kid, he would practice hitting wiffle balls over his house. And when they all collected on in the backyard, he'd hit them back into the front yard. He hit 511 with eight homers and 44 RBIs.
0: I thought that was You could just see he was a baseball player. You know what I mean? Where some of these guys, like, he would have made it in the 1900s as one of those, like, pitchers that would hit and just, like, all of that, where he just, like, really was a great prospect for
1: baseball. And I mean, yeah. There you go. So. He had already, after high school, um, Stanford offered him a scholarship to go and play there, um, which is a good move for him. I think they were just coming off a national title at the NCAA level in baseball, Uh, Okay. Okay. Um, but in Major League Baseball, you don't have to go to college, Chris, and especially if you are picked very high and get a lot of signing bonus money, you don't have to go to college. And they have, this is something that I have to
0: say about Major League Baseball, as opposed to everybody else, is they definitely have their own farm system, which the NFL's farm system is college football. Student athletes. NBA is called. You know what I mean? So baseball literally has this set up for him to be like, we see you're going to be a dominant pitcher, come in. And we'll teach you. Yeah, exactly. And so and pay you
1: money, money for your labor, Chris. What real, a novel concept! Yeah,
0: real <laughs> money.
1: Turn that change into folding money. <laughs> <laughs> so the question isn't. If he'll get drafted, like we talked about in our Frank Thomas episode, it's how high will he get drafted? Well, I, I I was wondering about this with his dad's influence, with
0: his dad coming from playing like a couple of years and playing in the minors forever, where I wonder if his dad was just like, oh, no, no, if you get drafted in the first round, we're going to take it. Because you're, you're literally setting up to be one of like a starting pitcher at one of these franchises.
1: And two of the top three teams who are drafting that year need pitchers. Picking first, as they often do, are the San Diego Padres. They decide to go the college route with Andy Bennis, who once led the NL in strike. He was a good pitcher for a long time. It was, you know, a smart move by them. The Indians take Mark Lewis because they're in the dog days of the Lou Brown era. And the Braves are picking third because the 80s were not kind to the Atlanta Braves. (laughs) They were straight trash at this point. But we see that they built this group They're of pitchers. They're these group. The previous seasons, they had traded for John Smoltz. Uh, they had drafted Tommy Glavin in the second round and a mess of other great players. Bobby Cox is now their GM. He hasn't become the manager yet, but he's the one actually picking the players, and he is a Hall of Fame manager. So.
0: And to all these other pitchers that you might, when you hear them, you, you might be more familiar with, Steve was literally looked at as like this is
1: going to be our guy this is our ace yes this is our ace this left-handed fireballer out of michigan and he was picked third by the braves scott boris was his agent this is when scott boris was first starting to be a baseball agent and basically holding teams hostage for players um here's some other guys that were taken that year i just want this draft was pretty stacked um you had jim abbott who we talked about on the podcast. American hero. Tino Martinez, uh, Charles Nagy, Brian Jordan, Marquise Grissom, Luis Gonzalez, Jim Edmonds, Kenny Lofton, a basketball player at the U of A, and in the 62nd round, Mike Piazza.
0: (laughs) I'll tell you what, it's interesting, because those are the guys that you hear in the 90s of baseball yeah, you know nin- what i mean yeah, exactly. like that's not yeah that's a great uh little draft my piazza god how'd
1: you ever make it a 60 uh, second round is a favor that was such a guido favor that turned out like gold god. oh my god it's
0: the might be the greatest favor ever it's yeah. just like look it's my uncle's kid
1: he needs just a spot out there i know his hair is weird <laughs> Let him go. He likes heavy metal and has a mullet. Let's just put him behind the dish. He's never played there before, but let's see if it works out. Can he swing the bat? Can he? (laughs) Steve actually signs a then record, which only lasted five days, $211,000 just signing bonus. Just for signing with the Braves. So, you know what? As attractive as a Stanford degree is and having to play at least three years, he made the right call.
0: I mean, I imagine he dwarfed what his dad made his entire professional career yeah you know what i mean oh, yeah. just on the signing bonus just that's the, the thing that's bonus. so crazy about just shit like this where you look at the contracts nowadays and they're just like oh my god <laughs> but even
1: back then like i bet two hundred thousand, they were like ecstatic you know? oh yeah stoked about it um 1988 he's in pulaski virginia living with a home fan homestay family called the huffords uh there was a good story about how him and turk wendell who also pitched in the majors they uh had a little bit of a mishap going four wheeling and they came in, uh, uh, into the house all muddy. They walked miles back to where they were staying, and in the next morning, there was a mop and bucket that just said, Please clean up after yourselves. <laughs> well, it's a uh, minor leaguers being minor leaguers, yeah, you minor know? leaguers being minor leaguers. Uh, his first game though. You can tell this kid is pretty special. Uh, five innings, four hits, seven strikeouts, and a walk. The team wins five to zero, and his manager, Cloyd Boyer, who was a former major league player, baseball lifer, said, "I can see why they drafted him number one. He's definitely a big league prospect." And just that season, he makes the All Star team, goes seven and one, has a 1.50 ERA, and 80 strikeouts in only 66 innings. So he's just already dominating people his
0: age. I was going to say it's already apparent that he could probably pitch in the big leagues. Like he is really dominating this minor league as soon as he come in. There's no, there's no like learning curve.
1: No, he's re- and I'll get into this once he gets to AAA and who his manager was or his pitching coach was and what a part he played in his career. But uh, in 89 he starts with the Durham Bulls because ground balls are more democratic, Chris. That's very right. It's very true. Um He doesn't stay with them uh, for very long, but this roster um, had 10 players who eventually made it to the major leagues, nine of whom were pitchers. So this is where all the Braves, like, awesome pitching of the freaking 90s is coming from.
0: Can I tell I you a little uh, baseball folklore? They say that there was an uh, <laughs> older woman who lived out there. There that, was an
1: older woman. In that uh,
0: time. And she schooled these young boys in the ways of baseball and love. sex.
1: I was going to say right. love. But no.
0: love and sex, same thing. That's a fine. You know what? That's <laughs> all good. And you know what? Nine pitchers, That's what that was her specialty.
1: <laughs> in, uh... So he starts the year with the Bulls, uh goes 6 and 4 with a 1.45 ERA and 90 strikeouts, but he's so good that he's promoted halfway through the season yep. to Double-A Greenville and he's 19 years old. He's 19 and he locks 13 starts for him. These are grown-ass men on the doorstep of Major League Baseball and he really like that that was the thing about that I saw
0: that I mean kind of might hurt him later is he really skyrockets through the minors it, it's very much apparent every single team he gets on he's just like oh no no I'm this the guy's best pitcher yeah this guy's the best pitcher and he does not have a lot to learn at this level
1: when well, you would figure the reasoning the Padres took Bennis was oh he's MLB ready yeah like he w- made his major league debut down the stretch in 89 when they were um fighting for the NL West title but Avery, you thought, would take a little bit longer just because of his... Nope, he's right there. Just because of his age. Yeah, just because of his age and development. And uh, 1990, though, he's in AAA Richmond, where his pitching coach is Leo Mazzoni. Do you know who that is? No. So eventually he becomes pitching coach of the Braves when Bobby Cox becomes the manager, but he was always the guy with the mustache always rocking in the dugout. That's Leo Mazzoni. Yeah. Sure. So, um, he said, this is, and we had talked about this with his dad growing up. He said, I didn't teach Avery a pitch. He had them. So my job was to see that he kept them. Yeah. That was, I mean, he, when you have three great pitches, that's all you need. Yeah. Um, he said he trusted um, himself to change speeds unlike any young pitcher that he had seen before because a lot of guys who come you know, from being just power pitchers and dominating over people that they're way better than, they don't have that confidence to be like, I can throw a breaking ball right now for a strike, like, especially when I need to. So if, well, I imagine that's
0: something that comes with time or for Avery was just like something he just already knew. Yeah. You know, watching his dad play baseball and pitch his whole life, I imagine he was very, like, in tune to what it was that a pitcher needed to do.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, well, he does so well that on June thirteenth, 1990, he's called up to the big leagues. He's barely over 20 years old. Um, he's the youngest player in the National League at that time. Um, and he gets to go uh, up in a game against the first-place Cincinnati Reds and a team that would eventually win the World Series that did not find themselves out of first place the entire season. Um, it's funny, uh, there was a story about how when he got to the team hotel, he left his bags in the car <laughs> when he came down to Atlanta. Um, They spot him a two-run lead uh, in his first start, but then uh, the wheels kind of fall off against that lineup of like you know Larkin and Davis and everything.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say they kind of shell him, but I mean it's it's his first start. He's you know yeah
1: no, I mean he's twenty years old. He's barely barely got fur on his peaches. Yep. Um, But something very important happens three days later because on June sixteenth, nineteen ninety, Bobby Cox leaves the GM spot, which was eventually. Uh, filled by John Sherholtz, um, to become the manager, and he brings Mazzoni from AAA to be his big league pitching coach. Um, so it's set up
0: for Avery to be this guy, essentially, in this next season. Well, not only Avery,
1: but guys like Smoltz and Clavin, yep. too. Um, he uh, finished the season 3-11 with a 5.64 ERA and 20 starts, but... He did have, um, on August 24th, a complete game shutout against the Cubs and Greg Maddox. Avery got two hits in that game, too. Maddox got all the Braves pitchers of this era could hit, which makes so much sense for that Chicks Dig the Long Ball Nike campaign. (laughs) Hi, Mark. So, heading into uh, 91, the Braves obviously finished last this year. I was going to say, they
0: they didn't have a good team whatsoever, but they had this young pitching staff that got this kind of uh, sexy name. They would call them Young Guns. They called them the Young
1: Guns. I called them the Young Buns. Oh, and Avery was Emilio Estevez. Oh, yeah, I do. Because he's Billy the Kid. He's younger than ever. But they called (laughs) him that because all of their starters, nobody outside of Charlie Leibrandt, they had four guys who were 25 and under. Yeah. Like Maddox and Smoltz, or not Maddox and Smoltz, uh, Smoltz and Glavin and are Glavin. like geriatric um, at that point. Um, but uh, an amazing season that year for the Braves and Avery, 1991. Kind of well, coming out of nowhere.
0: Well, essentially going from uh, last to second. <laughs> we'll <laughs> just bring to up rub that a little blow. bit, but you're right. He becomes not just like a good pitcher. This is the thing that I feel like everybody was expecting was like, all right, this next year he might go, you know, nine and twelve or yeah. what,
1: whatever it is, he'll finish around five hundred and yes. he'll
0: look like a twenty one year old ready to dominate the league. And he proceeds to be one of the best pitchers.
1: I mean, in baseball, in this baseball,
0: year. yeah, it's hard to even deny it because. They really have this great pitching staff that all steps up.
1: Yeah, I mean, every guy is your losing streak breaker, basically, in this <laughs> yeah. rotation. Um, this year, he goes 18 and 8, 3.38 ERA, 35 starts, three complete games, 210.1 innings pitched. Keep those in mind, those numbers there. 137 strikeouts, and he's 21. And he's pitching in super important games. Like in September, he had two complete game wins over the Dodgers, who were fighting him all year for the NL West. And then, in uh, on September first, and on September fifteenth, he grabbed his last, or uh, on September twentieth, I mean, he grabbed his last uh, win of the season, taking a no hitter into the seventh against the um, Astros. Oh yes. So the Bra- it comes down to the final two days of the season. The Braves won the division. They're worst to first, and they're going to the World Series against another worst to first team we've talked about on this podcast: the Minnesota Twins and Kirby Puckett. And Avery doesn't record a decision in either game because yes. they're all close and <laughs> probably one of the most exciting World Series in Major League Baseball history where the home team wins every time.
0: But this is something that I
1: saw where he had a couple of solid games so they are two decisions. I'm sorry. I I, I totally skipped over the NLCS. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Because this is where he earns his big money. I skipped ahead, but... Well, let's just say he's the best player on both teams in this series and because he's the MVP. Yes. So they lose game one to the Pirates. In game two, he goes eight and a third, nine strikeouts on 118 pitches. Zane Smith pitched well for Pittsburgh in this game, but he completely shut them down. I think in this game, he retired 11 in a row at one point. He was making Barry Bonds look ridiculous. This Basically, this whole series, everyone made Bonds look ridiculous. But uh,
0: And then uh, he comes back in game five. Yeah. Or, no, uh, uh, game six, game
1: six. Okay, so he comes back in game six. So he. Sh- he's... so they win one to nothing game two. Yep. They get a weird run on a bad hop over Steve Bouchel. Um, they're down three to two. So, this is an elimination game for them in Pittsburgh at Three River Stadium. Doug Drabeck is pitching for the Pirates. I think he won the Cy Young that year or the year after. So, Avery matches him pitch for pitch. Eight innings again, eight strikeouts, 116 pitches. He struck five of the first six guys out in an elimination game. That's amazing. Some say this was He pitched so well. I watched rewatch yeah. these games. It's ridiculous. It's freaking ridiculous. Well,
0: some say this is some one some of the most dominant playoff pitching these two games, if you watch it, because he goes eight innings twice and shuts out and literally, like, Nobody got to 2nd
1: base yep. in this game. It was that ridiculous. Um, and then in uh, Game 7, Smoltz comes in. The Braves stake themselves a really early lead, and they're off to the World Series to play the Twins. And this is when we see him come in to the real worst of first. <laughs> yes, the real worst of first. Uh, game 3, he starts on October 22nd. Um, the game goes... Th- Avery pitches well. Yeah, that, that's what everybody
0: says. And if you watch this, like, there there weren't bad games. Just the
1: Twins, just literally, just barely pulled something it out. out of them. Yeah. Pulled something out of their ass. He went seven innings, uh, three runs on uh, five strikeouts. Um, uh, Alejandro Pena blew the save though for him. So the game goes twelve innings, and um, while the Braves eventually win five to four in twelve, Avery doesn't get a decision. But he comes back in game six, which we've talked about is the Kirby Puckett game. Mm -hmm. A game which Atlanta, had they won, would have given them the World Series title. Pitches six innings, three runs, three strikeouts, but left the game without a decision. Well, it's
0: one of those things that you always think of, like, would this have changed Avery's future? You know what I mean? Right, if
1: he's the poster. 21 years old, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Would they have then thought of cooling him off a little? or <laughs> Maybe. Uh, we, we'll never know, but the Twins eventually win Game 7, the Smoltz-Morris game. But since they have so many starters who are in their early mid-20s, the winning doesn't stop in Atlanta, Chris. I was going to say, they are literally
0: set up to be the best team the next year yeah it's nl especially
1: not even just like their division they're literally like like when mac and charlie get job the mail never stops the mail never stops (laughs) the winning doesn't stop um so in 92 avery leads major league baseball and starts has 233.2 innings pitched this season while he goes 11 and 11 six of the losses were by two runs or fewer um 3.2 oera 129 strikeouts and the Braves end up winning the NL West again.
0: But they, this is what everyone was saying about this year was his uh, record was a bit low because the Braves' offense was just, like, not good. But their pitching was so dominant. Yeah. Um, like you said, lost uh, six of them by, by two runs. But
1: then they uh, run into Pirates again. Oh, rematch to Electric Boogaloo. I uh, see it. Listening to the Bonilla episode, you kind of know what happens. But... Uh, so he wins game two in this series on uh, October 7th, 1992. Pitches six and a third. Uh, well, he gave up four runs. He set an NLCS two, 22, and two thirds, uh, 22 and a third scoreless inning streak.
0: Against the Pirates in the playoffs. Yeah. It's crazy. Because so he was the MVP, NLCS it,
1: yep. MVP the year before, so he extends it. They win 13 to five. Atlanta goes up three to one in this series. So you're thinking, oh, they're just going to coast. The Pirates are dead. Barry Bonds will end up leaving. Um, but the Pirates, what they end up doing in game five when they face Avery again, they shell him. I was going to say. Absolutely shell he him. He
0: literally is in the game for a third of the inning. They score five runs
1: and they're like, all right, you're out. You're out. We're, we might need you for if it comes to a game seven. I hope it doesn't happen. We might need you to come out of that bullpen. Yeah. And it does go to a game seven. And he pitched one and a third in this game um, after the Pirates had an early lead. um, Up 2-0 in the bottom of the ninth. And then Francisco Cabrera ruins everyone in Pittsburgh's baseball dreams by driving in Sid Bream to win the game 3-2 on
0: a single. And it's, I mean, so they're back-to-back World Series competitors. Competitors. That's a good way of putting it, Chris. I know. Competitors. You think about it, like, looking back, could this have been a dynasty? Because they're not. You just like this this little thing right here where they go back
1: to back. Um, this is almost like the Colts with Peyton Manning. Yeah. And we'll get to that part later. <laughs> um, but uh, they go to the World Series again. He pitches game three. Oddly enough, this is the first World Series game ever played across the border.
0: Yeah, it's the first one outside of the United States. Oh, America. And he's the first losing pitcher ever.
1: Well, I can't put too much fault on him for this loss because he pitched a hell of a game. This was, sure. a, this was actually an interesting game. Uh, they should have had a triple play in this game on a Devon White catch where Kelly Gruber tagged out Deion Sanders, but the ump didn't see it. But it was a total pitcher's duel. He goes eight innings, with nine strikeouts. But in the bottom of the ninth, after giving up a single to Robbie Alomar, Mark Wallers comes in. Alomar steals second base. They eventually have to load the bases for Candy Maldonado, and he gets a walk-off hit off of it, It's Richard. shitty because you're right. He
0: really did pitch a good game. Uh, Toronto, I do feel like, was a better team. Yeah, you, you, you know what I mean? Where you look yeah. at that, you're like, man, Braves had great pitching. Toronto, just a better.
1: Yeah, it was tied 2-2. Two, two. I think the only runs he allowed were home runs to, I think, Carter and uh, Gruber in that game. So, I mean, to lose only giving up three runs and – They walk the bases loaded after they they pulled you. You're just responsible for the go-ahead. But uh, Game 6, October 24th, 1992. um, Only four innings pitched, two runs, two strikeouts. But this is an elimination game where the bullpen is used quite extensively. Um, I believe the game goes to, uh, in the top of the 11th, Dave Winfield doubles, which is his first World Series extra base hit ever. Scores Alomar in white, and although the Braves have a furious comeback in the bottom of the ninth, they it's cannot win, and they lose their second consecutive World Series. Just not enough, and those damn Canadians take what
0: is America's prize. Stay on your side of the border, Snow Frogs. That's all I'm saying. That's all he's saying. Uh, so the Blue Jays take it, and uh, we get into 1993.
1: And the Braves have just said, hey... We already have an awesome pitching staff. Let's add future Hall of Famer Craig Maddox to the fold. It
0: is—it is quite a bold addition because they really don't add a lot of offense.
1: Well, you know what's funny is the offseason prior, because they were talking about getting rid of him to get something in return so he wouldn't leave as a free agent, they almost they had a bonds trade executed. That's wild. They had a bonds trade executed that Jim Leland said, You are not trading him there <laughs> of all places. You're not trading him. <laughs> so he starts off red hot. That's oh, the thing. He's an all-star. He's this an year. all-star. He's an all-star um for the Braves. And he goes 18-6, and six, 2.94 ERA, 35 starts again, three complete games, one shutout, 223 and a third innings pitched, Chris. If you know what I'm saying, some people say foreshadowing. Hit it with me. So they struggle kind of out the gate because San Francisco's on a tear. Um, they make a midseason trade where they uh, sent a washing machine to San Diego for Someone who should be in the Hall of Fame, Fred McGriff, who just ignited their offense, and they went on a ridiculous. And we'll get into the playoffs, and I think we've talked about it in the Schilling episode. By the end of the year, they're 104 and 58, and they're gassed. They're just out, They won the division on the last day of the year. Um, but Avery, on, a, on September 12th that year in San Diego, has a muscle injury in his armpit. And while it doesn't necessarily affect him too much, it's a little foreshadowing of things that start to come during his career. Well, and this
0: is what everybody says is this is the indication of his literal arm rotation mechanism, whatever kind of, you know, his arm literally almost falling apart. And because th- this muscle in his armpit, it, it, he ruptures pitching, it. It's pitching, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it does not heal properly yeah (laughs) like that's that's literally what happened so like and that's what they were saying right after it was literally at the end of this season it was like two different pitchers going into the playoffs against kurt schilling everybody would have Probably picked Avery to dominate this. Yeah, because Schilling Schilling is finally starting to come out of the box as like an awesome pitcher. But still, Avery was was like the all star this year, and literally Schilling out
1: pitches him. And that's what people were saying was just like. And it's not like Avery pitched poorly either, because in these games, Atlanta's still in him. But Schilling is getting no decisions because the bullpen is god awful. Yeah. Um, No decision in game one, um, and no decision in game five. Overall, he had 13 innings, only allowed five runs and 10 strikeouts, and had a sub-three ERA, which is great for anybody in postseason play. It's just Schilling was that dominant, and that the Phillies had to rally in both of those games, <laughs> and the extra innings are at the very end to pull it out. pull it out. Um, one stat I wanted to bring up, as we were alluding to, because 1994 is his age 24 season, he made 135 starts before age 24. It's That's a crazy. lot. There are guys who don't get that. Your average pitcher now what is maybe thirty to thirty two starts a season.
0: And I, I was trying to look this up. I couldn't. I couldn't find it. But what was his average pitch pitch count per start? Oh, because it, I bet it was in the high
1: like eighties. Well, judging by the innings pitched that they have, or that is. Uh, Statistically recorded and his shutouts and his complete games, it's a lot.
0: Maybe even they, like it's he he had to have literally pitched so much more than guys do nowadays. But this is well, what I he mean had talked where,
1: about even as a kid. Yeah, during summer ball, he would throw like three hundred pitches. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't even care. And it's a much different game now. If someone was using a pitcher like that now, specifically a young and talented one like Avery baseball people would be losing their minds.
0: Yes, because, I mean, he really is this lesson that everybody learned, like, oh, we burnt that out.
1: Yeah, 94 was kind of a difficult season for him off the field, probably more so than on the field. Um, His father-in-law died uh, March 29th of that year, and then his son Evan was born three months premature, so he was basically commuting back and forth from Atlanta and Michigan and all around the country playing baseball, just to be with his family.
0: Uh, yeah, and he he was just dealing with mental
1: stuff and and yeah. And Smoltz was basically like you could tell it was affecting him oh, yeah, a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um he went 8 and 3 though in 24 starts. His ERA starts to climb though. He's at 4.04 in 151.2 innings pitched, but the reason that number is so low is because baseball went on fucking strike that year. Yep. <laughs> Greedy bastards, God damn it. Ownership not the players. <laughs> um <laughs> So in 1995, um, the, now they're ready to just start dominating, and that's exactly what they did this season. Unfortunately for Avery, this is when the downfall begins to happen as far as the regular season goes. Um, they're still loaded, but he goes 7-13 and with a 4.67 ERA and 29 starts. He's even said about this season, I stunk. Like, But when you have Maddox, Smoltz, and Glavin in your rotation – it doesn't matter i think that was the year Maddox had a sub 2 era that's how dominant he was
0: well and it's it's one of those things where i bet people in his camp were like well maybe he needs a, a change of of scenery and it will you know revitalize his career because he was lo- still looked at as like this guy, but if you watched his pitching, it really started to decline.
1: Yeah. Um, the Braves went to only a three-man rotation in the NLDS against the Rockies, uh, made only one appearance. Um, and then uh, in game one against the Reds, he walked the only guy he faced in the 11th inning in game one. Um, and then uh, Bobby Cox makes an interesting decision in game four because Atlanta's up 3-0 to zero in the series. doesn't want to use one of his main starters in the game, so he gets Avery to pitch and start game four. And mind you, it was a very unpopular decision. People were going, why are you doing that? Like, just close out the series, you know? Don't give him
0: life. It was literally like one of those decisions where people were just like, this— he's either going to be looked at as a genius or he might be fired for this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it looked like. He didn't He didn't pitch the postseason more than an inning. And he was just like, all right, here's the ball for game four. Close us out. And yeah.
1: uh, Avery had said it meant a lot to him when Cox said to him before the game, Ave, I've got confidence in you. And the f- decision fucking worked. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Um, he went six innings. Um Three hits, one run, three strikeouts. They win the game and go to the World Series. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, that was, oh, no, that was um, the World Series game. He started game four against the Reds. That was the stats from in the World Series. He asked them to pitch game four again because they were up 2-1 to in the series against Cleveland. Oh, yeah, okay. So, he said, Ava, I've got confidence in you, and they eventually win that in six games. So he's a World Series champion, Chris. He's a World Series champion. That's amazing.
0: Especially because going into this uh, playoffs, he was, they, you're right, they went to a three-man rotation, and I, I heard him say this. He just goes, I didn't think I was going to play in that, in that playoffs. Yeah, you know, like not play, but like not start. You in know? the
1: NLCS, six innings pitched, six strikeouts against the Reds in a game no one wanted him to start in the world series six innings pitched three strikeouts one run in a game nobody wanted him to pitch it was like almost a redemption for 91 and 92 for him they as said as it was the
0: postseason they and it, it looked like the pitcher of old and that was kind of the thought was will he revitalize his career with this that's why i was saying was will he get this you know change of setting and be this dominant pitcher again but it's gotta feel good to be on that Braves team, to be these young guys that kept going back. Yeah. And then to win this. Oh, totally.
1: No, for everyone like losing to Minnesota and Toronto and then losing to Philadelphia and that awesome team that they had. Oh, they are my favorite non padre team of all time, the ninety-three Phillies. <laughs> but um so ninety-six, you're thinking everything's coming up millhouse, and it does not for Avery. Um He's losing velocity on his fastball now, and the injuries and inconsistencies picking up for him. Well,
0: he's 25, but uh, I feel like... He's, his, 26, he's, he's 26, but he's a hard 26. I was just going to say, so he's 26, but I feel like his body's like 36. That's what the thing is with all of these pitches and all of this you know, work. It, was, it really
1: burnt him out. But you know, and it, that's why I always say like pitch counts are more of a person-to-person type thing as opposed to like an across-the-board flat type of deal because... Smoltz didn't have any problems with his arm until he was in his... Mid to late thirties, and he never
0: pitched over ninety miles an hour in his entire career. No, that was Maddox. <laughs> oh, that Smoltz, was Maddox was, yes,
1: Smoltz was straight gas. Yeah, he was. And then, which is that? You're right. That is weird as fuck. And Glavin too. He, ne- I mean, that guy won three hundred freaking games in Major League Baseball.
0: I wonder if it was the increased pitch count when he was younger, and just the not drop off whatsoever.
1: Yeah. So that like, might be it. It, it could have been anything. It could have been his body. It could have been it. Literally. You, yeah, it could have That's been one of the biggest mysteries because like if you told me in 1991 who the Braves best starter was after that NLCS and even World Series it'd be like, Steve Avery.
0: Oh yeah. Unquestionable. And he was. That's that was what we were saying was he was looked at as like the franchise guy but looking back, he's kind of the forgotten child.
1: Yeah. Um so he goes 7 and 10 and 23 starts, 4.47 ERA. Um doesn't even pitch in the NLDS um, against the Dodgers um in the NLCS in uh Two games had two innings pitched, two hits, and a strikeout. But they scratch and crawl their way back from a 3 2 series deficit against the Cardinals to go back to the World Series and play the New York Yankees. Fuck the Yankees. I'm sorry. But. (laughs) Well, this is
0: because, again, it was kind of like the last year where he wasn't playing in the postseason. He, I mean, really didn't play whatsoever. And then going into this Yankees. He was kind of slotted in for one or he two occasion. Was it two? Uh, well, I, I know the most one of them. important yeah. one
1: was in Game Four, yes. where they're up six to zero. The Yankees eventually tie the game because of uh, Jim Larett's DUI King and his home run heroics um, in the tenth inning. Avery comes in, um, gives up a single. And then there are three walks that come after it, the last of which to our main man, Bogsy. Well, one, uh, so he, he uh, intentionally walks the
0: guy right before Boggs, which everybody said was a mistake. This was something I found so yeah. interesting because it was said that that was a mistake by the manager. But he was saying, I have confidence in Avery. Which he did in the World Which Series, he and did. he did in the
1: NLD or NLCS.
0: And Avery proceeds to walk Bogsy for the loss. I, and that's the thing that
1: people were saying was it, it really was. I mean, I know you want to go lefty, lefty, especially at this time, but when you have a guy like Wade Boggs, that matchup doesn't always favor the the pitcher. That's
0: <laughs> like, and that's what people were saying was it, it didn't make sense with Boggs coming up, you know, and you know he's going to ride that horse. Yes, he is.
1: What are you doing, Bogsy? <laughs> so January 97, um, he's a free agent now, and he's thinking now it's time for a change of scenery. Okay, okay. And um, the Boston Red Sox have just hired uh, Braves third base coach Jimmy Williams as their manager, and they decide to sign him and bring him in for some pitching help um, there in Boston because Roger Clemens had just left. Oh, and okay. Was thinking about making some bodily changes after yeah. he left Boston. Left Boston. Left his old persona. Left. To the, well, he was always an asshole. He left his training regimen in Boston. Um, 22 games, 18 starts, six and seven uh, with a 6.42 ERA. Only th- less, throws less than 100 innings that year. 96.2. Um, the injuries again limited him. Um, this is when he really his body starts just failing him, which is really sad. Because he really is young. He's 27 years old. He should he's be, pitched in how many postseasons? Like,
0: this should be going into his prime, and I feel like everybody in baseball can kind of see what's happening. Oh, know? yeah.
1: No, I mean, the word is kind of out that the arm trouble is, and the shoulder trouble is just there. Uh, 98 goes 10-7, uh, 5.02 ERA, uh, 57 strikeouts. But uh, the team leaves him off the postseason roster. He's cut... Um, uh, and released in uh, October. So doesn't have a job, but in 99, uh, after December 98, he signs with the Reds. And 99 Reds, uh, they won over 90 games. They had the playing game for the wild card, which they lost. But They were a good team. Um, but he goes 6-7, and seven, 5.16 ERA, only 51 strikeouts. And in July, he tears his left labrum in his shoulder, which is if you're a pig, that's like breaking your leg if you're a horse essentially yeah, seriously i it, mean it's so
0: rough to come back from um does he go to the the
1: worst uh, detroit tigers team ever well no in between the braves tried to bring him back in oh, january yeah. 2000 oh yeah all right um but uh uh doesn't make the team goes to the minors um And then goes to them, tries out with them again in the spring of 2001, but wasn't healthy enough to make the team. It just wasn't um, healthy enough to make the team. Even the Braves scouting director um, had said they tried to get him back as a pitching coach in the minors because obviously I think he'd be pretty good considering, you know, his dad was and the types of people he he grew up in baseball. He knows it. But he wanted to spend time with his family. Yeah, I saw that. That was great. Um, in late 2002 though um, since he his oldest son had never seen him pitch he signs a major league or a minor league contract and to come to spring training with the Detroit Tigers yeah which for him is awesome because and even Smoltz has talked about this how he always wished he could have played for the because he's from the Detroit area as Mm -hmm. well how he could always play for his hometown team uh he said he felt bad for Glavin when Smoltz was finishing his career at the Red Sox because Glavins from uh, Massachusetts. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I saw that
0: the Tigers were so bad oh, that they, year.
1: They were they were sixty two met shitty this year. Yes. They almost set. They the almost set yes, right, the yes. record. And yeah.
0: that's what somebody said was it was this great thing where he was just like, "Can I please come and play for your minor league team?" And they literally were like. Yeah, I mean we're the worst team in baseball. I mean we're, I mean, we're tanking. Uh, right so now. like that's really what it was. Which it, uh, that's why I love because you're right. He came back to play for his boyhood team.
1: Yeah, uh, went two and 5.63 ERA, sixteen innings pitched um, for a forty three and one nineteen. A cool forty three and one nineteen Tigers team. Um, so yeah, after that his career is essentially over at thirty three. Unfortunately, but. Uh, Wanted to bring this up. Uh, One time All Star, NLCS MVP in 91, World Series winner in 95, 96 and 83, 4.19 ERA and 261 starts, 1,554.2 innings pitched, 980 strikeouts. In the postseason, went 5 and 3 with a 2.90 ERA, um, with 12 starts and 77.2 innings pitched. That's amazing. Because he did that all in one in one little window, block, yeah, one block almost for any pitcher. That's amazing. Yeah, and that ERA number for his career so high because of all the shit that happened post 1995. Mm-hmm. Or you could make the argument everything that happened post 1993, which is not even as a hitter. He hit 174. That's amazing. Yeah, World Series champion. He um, hit four dingers. He hit four dingers as a
0: pitcher. That's amazing. You got to know those dingers came off fastballs. So th- just...
1: 14 doubles, four triples. Not even Frank Thomas hit four triples. Well, he
0: couldn't get around the bases.
1: Taylor uh, Sports Hall of Fame 2004 and um, his John F. Kennedy High School baseball and softball stadiums uh, have his name. And in 2020 was the account executive group for the Braves hospitality team. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's But I think the main thing, though, I wanted to bring up is for that that fucking shooting star, right? He was just the man, and it never quite panned out. Well, I feel like the
0: what was going on in that 91 to 93 was just kind of like, oh, this guy could be a Hall of Famer. And it dropped off so quick that people were like—and that was the other thing was the Braves pitching was so famous. You forgot then, about him. Yes. That you he was just like, who about was that? Even in 91, 92, 93, you were like, oh, that's the guy, which that's why, I mean, some guys literally have this like burn too hot because consistency really kind of wins out. Yep, that's true. But thank you, everybody. Steve Avery.